Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month. Get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Last week, we previewed preview magazines that are out there, specifically Athlon Magazine. And of course, got to bring on Braden Gall from Athlon Sports to talk even more about the Athlon Preseason Magazine Braden, man, thanks for hopping on again for the uh, second year in a row now. <laughs> Always a pleasure, man. Good to see you, bud. Yeah. Uh, it's a little different talking Florida from 2020 to 2021. A, a little bit. Not not hugely different, but a little bit. Um, certainly some glaring holes uh, <laughs> at particular positions on offense that you need to fill. But, like, I don't know about you, I, as someone who sort of, covers the team from afar i'm not overly worried about some of those holes so uh, i have a few other questions they're still a top 12 team in our magazine and you know they were the pick to win the east last year so to your point not the pick to win the east this year but i mean a couple things break their way it's not out of the question for them to be in atlanta again that's not i don't think it's that crazy at all so it's not it's not a huge far it's not a huge cry from last year yeah we'll get into to a lot of that but Brady, let us know about the magazine of course here i'll uh Everybody, find it on the newsstand there. Kyrie Elam on the SEC cover there uh, for the Gators. So, how different? I mean, last year I talked to you, and we had we were going through the pandemic, the beginning stages of the pandemic, and there were a lot of questions if it was going to get out in time and all that. But did the pandemic uh, affect it again for 2021? And uh, the, 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 explain the process from the crazy 2020 to releasing the magazine in 2021. Well, I think it's an interesting question. I, I think. We, we had a strange, we, we sort of like went through the motions last year because a lot of the magazine is done in chunks and we started sort of like the, even like the November before. So like November of 2019, we're already starting to put together stats and, you know, com- especially with the early signing period in December, you're starting to compile recruiting classes. Like you can start putting big chunks of the magazine together. If we waited till the last like four weeks before press to put the whole magazine together, like 
none of us would have families. We would all be in, you know, committed to uh, hospitals for, for going completely insane. But uh, so it's spaced out, right? It's a month, four month, five month long process. So actually, the pandemic didn't affect putting the magazine together nearly as much as we maybe thought. I, I, it certainly, once it was on shelves and we were right in the middle of the lockdown, because that's about when it came out, <laughs> I think that's when we started saying, Oh, okay. Uh, maybe none of this is is going to be relevant when the when this when the games start because, like, you know, a big chunk of our magazine is schedules. For example, that's yeah. a big part of each team page. Well, none of that was was accurate. <laughs> so, uh, it was more about like when the games actually started. The book had lost a lot of relevancy, and I think this year it's going to go back to a far more normal experience. Um, I think the pandemic, like everything, has affected business, and so. You know, people paying for good journalism and buying premium content is something that is suffered. I would say across the board, across all subjects and and stuff over the last year and a half, media companies have suffered greatly. So supporting Athlon is, is not a, a small thing. Buying going and buying a magazine is not a small thing. It keeps it around, and we're still making money off of it. So we're still going to keep doing it. And as long as we keep, uh, as long as it's profitable and people want it once a year you know, we're still going to keep churning out magazines and, and right now it's still wanted enough that we keep doing it. So, um, go, go, go buy a premium magazine once a year, 10, 12 bucks and, uh, get something to read for, for three or four months and, uh, hopefully get some enjoyment out of it. Right. With, with or without the podcast, I'd be buying it. So that's a, that's a thing, but, uh, it's still the one physical Con- media content that I still buy, you know, everything else is digital, but I, for whatever reason, this preseason magazines, I have to have the physical copy. I, I'm with, I'm with you and I'm 38. So maybe I'm like, well, here, I just turned 38 last week. So there we go. Uh, I've got, I've got two small kids. So I'm like entering full on like fully fledged middle-aged territory. Um, but I still like, I still read books. I still prefer to hold the book in my hand. I don't read stuff on my, my iPad. Uh, I know people love their Kindles and stuff, and and I get why. If you're going on a long trip, you're not going to carry like six books with you. But like this is one magazine once a year. I I, I end up marking it up and taking notes and highlighting oh, yeah. stuff, and um, you know I'll, I'll see even even as someone who works on it, I'll I'll come back to it in August and remember something that like then helps me do ha- have a different opinion or maybe changes my thought process on a game or like you can still see there's still worthwhile information in there even like in mid August when camps open up and you know, there's quarterback battles everywhere, whatever. It's still relevant. You know, it's it's a great reference guide, right? Like schedules, statistics, uh, r- rosters, recruiting classes, the, the coaching, scouting reports, like all that stuff stays relevant all the way through the season. So um, I- I'm with you. I'm Maybe I'm just middle-aged, but I love holding it in my hands and actually having it to like write on and like rip up and stuff. So before we get into it, uh, explain the process of the top 25, because you're not the only one there at, at Athlon Sports and, and the work that you guys put together. Uh, how does the process come for the top 25, all the predictions, and how many, how many people are involved when you guys put this thing out? So it used to be a lot larger. <laughs> I, will say, I will say that. It was a lot larger. But I think it's actually gotten better because when it was, you know, when it was like 15 people, you, you had 15 different ideas and it's hard to sort of organize it. And we would do it a lot of times in one big meeting where we would sit down, we would hand out, distribute information and material and sort of prep work for everyone to like sort of study up. And then over like a two or three day period of time, right at the end of production, we would kind of gather and like hash it all out and throw things at each other. Staplers are flying through the room and like, like that, that was a sort of the way it worked. And, and now it's a much smaller group of people 
but I think these four or five people are are far more in tuned. Um, the, the knowledge base, I think, is even deeper. And I think the process is far more spread out so that we sort of take our time and pace ourselves to really make sure we're thinking through every single possible kind of issue, right? And so, you know, Florida, Georgia last year, for example, would have been one that we probably talked about three or four different times over a span of a month and debated back and forth. Like, here's a good point. All right, let's let that sit for a minute. Let's come back to it next week. Let's think about it. Okay, let's study it some more, come back to it the following week. And we kind of flip-flopped. I, I was sort of always Florida, but there was definitely a couple of meetings where I, I was like, man, Stan Georgia team's pretty salty. I, I think they're going to be good. And, and and you kind of do that. like So you have a meeting and then you or argue something. And there's certain things, like Vanderbilt being picked seventh in the east this year like we didn't talk about that like yeah. that we walked into the meeting we sat down we said all right Vanderbilt's at seven that's that that was sort of easy for us to do in the SEC for example um and this happens for every conference and and then it so then you, you kind of you know you, you hone in on where everyone agrees and then you hone in on where everyone has questions you add more data to that so you can study it some more and then you come back and meet the next week so that, that, it's, it's it's a much more drawn out process now where we take a lot more time and energy to, you know, really flesh out the tough decisions and, you know, like Ole Miss and Auburn this year. Mm -hmm. um, I think Kentucky and Missouri this year, I think LSU is just, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what to make it. Like we have some people that want LSU in the top 10. We had some people that want LSU outside of the top 25. So LSU is impossible, but those five teams, like, I've gone back and forth. We had lots of arguments about those five teams and where to put them nationally, where to put them in the East, where to put them in the West. So it, it's a it's definitely a longer drawn out process, but I think it's a better process. All right, let's get into the Gators. But before we do, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on your favorite podcast platform and at newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. If you're watching the YouTube version, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. It really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. Braden, here we go. Gators coming at 11th in the Athlon Top 25, right behind <clears throat> Oregon at number nine, North Carolina at number 10. Splitting hairs here, but what kept Florida out of the top 10? Well, I think a lot of it's about projections. When you get to the national rankings, it's about projections on actual games. So if if the record for Florida, we, we have them at five and three in the SEC, nine and three overall. Uh, of course, Bama and Georgia with your two law, lo- you know, two losses that sort of we kind of penciled in to start at, at that point. Like if you get that, if you get that third loss, you're probably not a top 10 team. Mm-hmm. If you can avoid that, that third loss, which is very possible, then all of a sudden you're 10 and two and you're six and two in the league. And you're probably sitting at like eighth or ninth. You're basically so was, last year. Right. It's, it's sort it's, so it kind of came down to, uh, and I think with the number of questions, I actually think you could argue like 11th for this, this type of team, like they've now entered, the same place that like AM has entered, where AM has lots of questions. They're number six in the in the rankings, but they have lots of questions because we trust Jimbo Fisher and we trust the recruiting job that they've done. And, you know, like all these big top the big powerful teams in the top 15, there's a lot of trust that goes into sort of replacing some guys. And and I think with Florida, very few teams could lose the pieces they're losing on offense. And like most of us look at them and go, Yeah, I think they're gonna be pretty good still. Like that's just not a normal thing for a college football team to be able to do. A Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback, an all-world, all-generation tight end, some receivers and running backs. Like you can't, you normally can't take those pieces off a roster and just go, oh yeah, they're going to be good still. 
And, and Florida's kind of like that right now. Um, so I think there's a lot of benefit of the doubt on offense with, with Emory Jones, with Dan Mullen, with the scheme, belief in the personnel. And, you know, there's the, the offensive line and the defense, especially, you know, interior defensive line. Like there's just some questions there. And that maybe limits their upside, but I think 11th is pretty respectable for a team that's losing as much as they did. Yeah, we've seen projections all throughout since the 2020 season ended and the day after all these preseason polls come out. And Florida is pretty comfortably outside of the top 10, but you know, not a major drop-off uh, at all as people kind of have them around that 10th, 15th mark. And as you said, it kind of speaks to respect. Losing all that. Of course, you know, you're not Alabama, so when you lose that much, you just don't replace it with another five-star. Uh, but you are replacing it with uh, a projection of Dan Mullen being able to get the best out of a lot of players on the roster there. So, speaking of Dan Mullen, Braden, what's your thoughts on Dan Mullen? I, I've asked <laughs> this question many times uh, coming for people coming on the podcast. I'd like your input. Do you think different of him and his potential at Florida from when he was hired uh, you know, double-digit wins his first two years, beats Georgia and wins the SEC East in 2020, but still rings a little hollow with the, the finish in 2020 and the off-field events as well. And now recently Florida and, and Mullen agreed to a contract extension and a raise. Has your projection of uh, of the Mullen and Florida pairing changed at all? Uh, you still you guys still have him third best coach in the SEC, only behind Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. I, I might put him ahead of Jimbo Fisher. Um, I, I think you guys are perfect for each other. I, I don't understand the, the, and I don't want to say it's not animosity, but it's sort of like, all right, if you're going to say some stupid stuff in the media around the pandemic and, you know, maybe do some silly things and have some silly opinions and flirt with the NFL and, you know, like I, I get it. He puts his foot in his mouth, but I kind of like him for that. Like, I, I don't agree with him, but I don't live in a world where I think like you have to agree with everything I have to say. I, I'm okay with people being imperfect and saying stupid things because, as, as a guy who talks about college football like you, I, I enjoy when someone does something stupid. Um, but I can also separate that from the, I think he's the best offensive schemer in the entire country. Like, I think that, I don't know if he can recruit at the same level as Kirby Smart and Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. Uh, I know that he's probably the best X's and O's offensive coach or coach of, of any of those guys. So there's a little give and take with all these guys. And, and you know, Kirby's offense hasn't evolved. You know, Jimbo Fisher, you know, wears thin pretty quickly. Nick Saban is freaking Nick Saban. Like, you can't compare yourself to Nick Saban. So if you're asking me, who do I want designing my offense? It's Dan Mullen. Like, maybe anyone in the entire country. So um, I, I don't, like, I think, again, I if the playoff, like, there's talk about the playoff expanding to 12. And if the playoff had been at 12, Dan Mullen would have three consecutive trips to the playoff right now yeah. as, as the Florida Gators head football coach. And he would have one at Mississippi State, by the way, uh, back in 14. So I, I just like finishing in the top 10. I, I know I know Gators fans like no one suffers losing better than Gators fans, but uh, or suffers winning better than Gators fans. But it, it's a pretty damn good team, a pretty damn good program. And just because you didn't get over the hump and, you know, beat Alabama doesn't mean that it's not headed in the right direction. So I, I you know, I think you guys are perfect for each other. I, I, you know, Florida, <laughs> I say this affectionately, Florida, Florida's a little crazy. I say this affectionately, Dan Mullen's a little crazy. Uh, and, and you have sort of like the new version of Spurrier, right? Like he's, he's not as like funny and as witty as Spurrier, but like he says, he says what he thinks. He says some silly, stupid stuff. He runs a brilliant offense. Like it's not that far from what Spurrier was back in the day. And um, Spurrier wasn't like a, superstar on the recruiting trail like that wasn't his thing so 
Um, I don't think it's that different. I think you guys are perfect for each other. So I'm a huge, I'm a huge Mullen fan. Uh, I don't agree with his personal stances on a lot of things, but I don't care about that. I'm, I'm, I care about him as a football coach, and I think he's a damn good football coach. Braden, you guys, you said it in the Athlon preview. I've heard you guys talk about it on the Athlon Sports College Football Podcast as well. And not being worried uh, at all about the Florida offense, even with the playmaker talent Florida lost on that side of the ball. Will you view this offense through a different lens with basically it being Dan Mullins recruits now? You know, this is his quarterback he picked in his first recruiting class. And say, you know, goodbye to Freddie Swain and Josh Hammond, Kadarius Tony. Kyle Pitts was his first recruit and that, that's been drafted, but that's you know, mostly because just how it breaks up with just how long he's been at Florida. It's not an indictment on the, the talent he's brought in. You know, we'll, we'll get more of that coming up with the, his players that he recruited. But, you know, starting this year, this offense, this quarterback, or guys that he handpicked. Yeah, I think what percentage of the playbook does Emory Jones give you versus Kyle Trask, right? So I I think Kyle, like, and this is, if you look at the history for Dan Mullen in his offenses, guys that have the ability to run are are the ones that sort of unlock the, the most of his playbook, right? He can use more of his playbook with guys that can run, whether that's Alex Smith, Tim Tebow, Dak Prescott, you know, whatever. Um, but if you are just so accurate, and this is actually, I could actually bring George into this conversation because JT Daniels, I think, is the most accurate quarterback in the league and I think has a chance to, to be a star. And he's just like last year in the summertime, I was saying, I just think I know they want to evolve their offense at Georgia and they want to be more dynamic and they want to be, you know, have a guy who's a dual threat or whatever. But like if JT Daniels is just too good and too accurate with the football down the field, then you have to play the guy who's the best thrower of the ball and that's what Kyle Trask was he didn't give Dan Mullen all of his offense that he wants to run Emory Jones could probably do that but is but but he could do things that maybe Emory Jones can't do and and that's what we need to learn if you've got a hundred percent of Dan Mullen's playbook the guy who can you know Dak Prescott's the guy who Alex Smith those are the guys who can do all of it right they can run all 100 percent of the book Kyle Trask couldn't run all of the book because he couldn't do all the stuff that he wants with 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 his leg with his quarterback's legs what we're going to find out is can emory jones who can do all of that stuff maybe not in the same way as prescott or tebow because they were running him between the tackles and they were on those guys between the tackles and i'm not sure you want to do that with with jones but I, I think the question is how accurate can he be down the field because we saw trask just drop stuff in buckets 45 yards downfield and and kyle pitts made up for a lot of that so i, I think that's the question is how much of the playbook can dan mullen use and if he gets the full scope of it all, I'm just not worried about it. Like, th- th- this is not a, a conference. Like, th- this is an offensive conference now. You got to score points. There's some really good defenses. You know, Kentucky's solid. Georgia's got a really good defense. But I just, I just think this is an offensive league. And if he can use most of his playbook, then I think the offense is going to be in fine shape. And, you know, those guys that he's got around, it's about the offensive line more than anything. If the offensive line shows improvement, then. You know, I I fully expect the offense to be pretty darn good. I don't know if it's going to be as good as last year, but I expect it to be one of the best in the in the in the SEC. Braden, extending that thought, you guys have Emory fourteen all SEC uh, in Athlon's magazine. I agree with Matt Corral taking the top spot. I think he's the top quarterback in the league uh, for for me right now. Just all around playmaker at, at the quarterback position. Pair him up with Lane Kiffin. <clears throat> we saw we saw our preview of it last year, um, and we're going to see it again in twenty twenty one. Uh, then you guys have Bryce Young from Alabama, second team. JT Daniels, third team. I think there's, you know, you could probably shuffle those two uh, inter- interchangeably uh, behind behind Corral. 
uh, as I said, Emory fourth. You know, besides Connor Basilak at, at Missouri, I mean, much of the SEC, they have some huge questions at the quarterback <laughs> position. Yeah, I really like Connor Basilak. I, big, big frame, um, knows what to do with the football. I, I really like him. I mean, Bo Nix is maybe like number six or seven. Yep. And he's like a guy with a ton of potential that's wildly inconsistent. So to your to your point, I, I agree. LSU's got a couple of nice pieces. Not sure what they're gonna who's gonna start there. Tennessee's got a lot of pieces. Not sure what they're gonna be uh, at that position. I'm not sure I see a star in any of those guys, but they've got a lot of options there. Um, a, the, a lot of freshmen from last year that I think are gonna be good, but I don't know if it's gonna be this year. And Ken Seals, I think, is really good at Vanderbilt, but I you're surrounded by a, a lot of questions there at Vanderbilt. New coaching staff, um, you know, Rodgers and Doty and, you know, Jefferson at Arkansas. Like, it's just to your point, it's just it, it, there's a lot of questions there. And so if I've got if I'm a Florida fan looking at my guy, I'm going, man, my guy's as good as anybody. Uh, you know, I, I think J, you could argue JT Daniels is the best quarterback in the league. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I I would argue um, I think Matt Corral is really good. 14 interceptions playing in that offense. Like if I if I had JT Daniels in that offense, what do his numbers look like? JT Daniels was worth, I think. I want. I don't have the number in front of me, but I want to say it was like eight point something points per game. Is how much JT Daniels was worth for Georgia more than the previous guys, Stetson Bennett, mo- mostly. So, I mean, when you are instantaneously more than a touchdown better with a quarterback, <laughs> like that's pretty good praise. So, you know, Bryce Young is. I mean, he has got he's got the pedigree, he's got the supporting cast, he's got the the. There's, there's some projection there, but you understand the right, <laughs> right? Like it's it's like Justin Fields starting for Ohio State the first year. You're like, All right, we 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 figure this is probably going to work. Like, it's, so I would actually have Bryce Young probably third just because of that. Um, and and I actually you look at Emory Jones and Bryce Young, and it's not all that different as far as like talented recruits. Emory wasn't as big a recruit as Bryce Young, but pretty close. Like they're both high level guys, similar athletic skill, stepping into a a position where we, we really believe in them and we certainly believe in the supporting cast, but we're not a hundred percent sure who they are yet as the guy when the lights come on. Um, And I think you put Bryce ahead of Emory just because of maybe pure talent and, and Alabama, like if if they were switched, you might have it the other way around. Right. Like, so, uh, so it's it really is an interesting year at that position because, like you said, I, I like Connor Basilak a lot at Missouri. I think he's quietly one of the better young quarterbacks in this league. But Eli Drinkwitz is doing a really good job putting that scheme together. Um, they're a fun offense to watch. I, I just, after to your point, after that, I don't know, man. <laughs> a lot of questions. Braden, top transfer. You guys, you know, you had a you had two transfer pages in the magazine. One just quarterback transfers, and then other transfers to watch. And the very first one that was mentioned, Demarcus Bowman, running back, transfer from Clemson to Florida. Florida's now five deep at running back. Talk about the quarterback position, but also you, just to shift in offense, you got to bring up Florida being five deep at the running back position and bringing in a high-level talent like Bowman. Yeah, and I think Clemson had another guy go to Wisconsin too. Like They're just losing dudes left and right, but that's the nature of the portal now is I, I think people – I know Henry Toto is a big time get for Alabama, but they lost like eight dudes in the portal that were largely four, four star guys going elsewhere, going all over the place. So Clemson's losing guys as well. Georgia lost a, a few guys. Um, so I, I think at that position, like again, Dan Mullen likes to run the football. It, you know, we, we, I always point out Gus Malzahn and Dan Mullen's offenses when he was Mississippi state and previously at Florida and then Gus at, 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 at Auburn, like 
with Cam in particular, that they want to run spreads, but they want to run power spreads. Mm-hmm. And a power spread is is I mean that that's almost unstoppable if you've got the right personnel. So we we know he likes to he wants to run the football, has not been able to do it. <laughs> and and that's what's made the last couple of years of success so remarkable is that they just haven't been very balanced. But you got a lot of dudes and and if you've got to break it up, I don't care if you've got an 1800-yard back. Like I just don't anymore. Like it doesn't yeah. matter to me. But if you've got three guys with 750 yards, 800 yards, I think you're in really good shape. So Georgia's sort of made a living on that, right? Like they'll, they've got a main guy and then they've got another guy and then they got a third guy. And it's like been 15 years of just churning out like backfields like that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what the running game looks like. Cause I do think that's one of the missing pieces for this offense is just, if they can find some semblance of balance, I, I think that that unit gets really, really dangerous, really fast. And it's already pretty good. Brayton, there might be some hope in this, but, you know, trying to maybe talk up the offensive line, maybe talk up the run game just a little bit. Can you see, just because of this shift in offensive philosophy that we pretty much knew Dan Mullen to be before Kyle Trask? You know, this is the, the style of offense that we knew he could run before we saw Kyle Trask just throw it 40 times all over the field. Maybe a shift back in that philosophy is what this offensive line needs. Maybe what offensive line coach John Hevesy really is known to develop for. These are the type of offensive linemen they recruit to be able to run this power spread offense that you're talking about. Yeah, and I think it's if you read our magazine and you check out the the coaching scouting reports, they're, the first two sentences, I believe, are about sort of they got away from the run a little bit, but that Dan Mullen is so great at sort of fitting the personnel into the scheme at the right time with the right pieces. And, and like you said, the, the reason Kyle Trask was throwing it around so much is because he was so stinking good at it. Like, and again, that goes back to the questions at the quarterback position this year. Like, is he how I think he's really good. I think he's going to have a huge year. The question is, how huge, right. how good can he be? And, you know, again, we're talking about, you know, when, when you're talking top 10 in college football, you're talking about, you know, the slimmest margins between, again, what, what do we what do we say? Nine and three versus 10 and two. That, that could be one third down conversion. Like mm-hmm. the, the difference could be one third and eight pass that he either makes or he doesn't make. And if you can make it third and four, let's say, because you've run the ball well that game, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, I know I'm setting up a lot of weird hypotheticals here, but I, I, I do think that he's great at, at putting the right scheme and the right plays and the right strategies into place with the right people. I think he's brilliant at that. I, I do think he got away from the run too much is some of that the offensive line and him just having to fit it into the personnel that he had? Maybe. Is some of that him getting a little pass happy? Maybe. Is some of that Kyle Trask was really good at that? It's probably all of these things. And so I do, I do think you want to find more balance and long-term because if you are going to line up against Bama and against Georgia and against A&M, you know, unless you're LSU Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence and Clemson, I just you, it's hard to sling it with those guys like that every single Saturday you, you have to be able to do other things. Um, and so I do think that's a, that's a question. I mean, but again, that's not a question for them to be good this year. I think they're going to be good. That the question is upside. Are, are they nine and three or are they 11 and one? If they find balance, they've got a chance to be 11 and one. If they, if they don't, they're still pretty good. It, it still could be a nine and three team. Talk about balance. Well, the other side of the ball has to be good as well. It has to improve uh, from 2020. Brady, I'll ask you, you basically you just you laid out for Emory Jones, you know, what is the ceiling? Todd Grantham in this defense, they're gonna bounce back. But 
how big is that jump? It, it's hard to be that bad. When you're at Florida and you got those players on defense, it's hard to be that bad. There are many reasons you could point to of why a, a, a team in 2020 would fall off the face of the earth on defense. Many reasons we've pointed out plenty of times here. But I guess I would, the, the, the question I'll pose to you, can Todd Grantham bounce back enough? <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. Do you guys like him right now? <laughs> yeah. I tell you, um, if, if you poll Gator Nation right now, it's by far an advantage of he's yeah. got to go. Yeah. Uh, and or he I, should, or, or, or he should not. He, he should have been let go after. The right. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know how fair it was to evaluate folks on 2020. Just to be honest with you, clearly defenses were so far behind. And, and I think that's a pretty simple explanation. Like you can, you can run seven on sevens drills and tournaments for like 12 years in the summertime without, you know, you know, during COVID, during pandemics, during lockdown, whatever, like you could run that stuff all day. And, and everyone, even when you're not in, in, in practice time, you know, it's sort of like kids getting together to run their own stuff. You can practice rhythm on, on, on a passing tree. You can practice rhythm and timing in, in your offense. It's hard to practice standing up a 300 pound guard, shedding him and trying to tackle a running back coming off the edge. Like that's just as, as a defensive tackle, like it's hard to practice that if you're not actually practicing that. Right. So I, that's my issue with the defenses last year in general writ, writ large was that it, it's just to get that physicality up and to get that sort of preparation up. You have to actually do it in particular in the front seven. And I think that's a, you know, that's a that's a reason why so many defenses were behind last year. Not as many, no excuses for that this year. And and so especially the middle of the Florida defense, right? Where you got, you know, a new new set of tackles, new middle linebackers, like you you the middle of the defense is a question for me. How good is that gonna be? Because I, I do think there's some some talent on the edge. If you can if you can create some some stability on the interior and Grantham's defenses, we you know <laughs> He, he, he likes to play it a little risky at times. Um, and is that the, was that the right style for the personnel during a pandemic? I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, the numbers say, up, say no. So I, I think you have to give them one year, one chance to bounce back and show that it was a fluke. If it's not a fluke and, they're, and they bounce back and they're really good, then I think you can say, all right, it was, a, it was more about the pandemic than it was about the coaching. If they're ba- just as bad this year, that that's to your point about the talent. Like that's unacceptable at Florida to be that bad. It's one thing for Ole Miss to be that that bad and to score that many points and and to you know <laughs> score forty seven and lose. Like yeah. that that that's an Ole Miss thing to do. That's not a Florida thing to do. So I, I agree. I think this is a. I think this is his prove it year. Like you 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 better show marked improvement or we're going to be looking for a new defensive coordinator. SEC unit rankings, Braden. Athlon has the Florida DB sixth best in the sec and after what we saw last season and only Kyrie elam returning as the known quantity back there in the defensive backfield it's pretty understandable did you think we'd see a day where you guys would think the florida defensive backfield would be the sixth best db unit in the in the conference well lsu and florida right they're 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 dbu so i guess to to that question yes but like I said, this like if you think about a baseball team, and I know we're in the middle of of super regionals or, or the NCAA tournament, excuse me. Um, and you think about catcher, pitcher, shortstop, center fielder, right? Like that's what's really important on defense in baseball. I think that's 
that's where I'm, I've, I've got questions about Florida. Like, I'm not saying that they're not, they don't have answers, that they absolutely could. But what I want to see from them is I want to see stability up the middle. Like, I want to see strength at, at, at defensive tackle, middle linebacker, and safety. Because if you're good there, I trust them to find corners. Like, I just yeah. do. I, I don't, I'm not concerned about the corners. I'm not like generally linebackers at Florida. Like, I'm not really worried about those guys. Defensive ends, I'm not really worried about those guys. So it's sort of the middle of the defense that I think limits them. And if, if that collection of guys can kind of settle in and find some star power there, then I think they can be pretty good. But yeah, you're right. Like <laughs> looking at, I, I'm not sure I'd even thought about that. Like looking down at our rankings, we got Texas A&M at three and I'm like, wait a second. A- A&M now has the third best secondary and it's like Jimbo Fisher's recruited pretty well. So, um, I mean, I know Georgia's got some dudes, but like Auburn at four, I would never have said Auburn was better than, Florida in the secondary, but I guess they had a couple guys starting in the in the Super Bowl, so I guess I should correct that maybe. <laughs> yeah, it is a, a different time. Like I said, there's pieces there. You know, Jason Marshall, the five star cornerback coming in. You know, maybe he makes his way up early on the field opposite Kyrie Elam, but it is safety that Florida has got to figure out. We saw Diamond Steiner and uh, and the like uh, back there. Now Trey Dean steps in. Uh, there with Rashad Torrance, who got a lot of playing time last year as well as a young guy. So there's the two pieces there that hopefully uh, solidify that uh, for the Gators. And look, Braden, you talked about it plenty of times here. Transfers at defensive tackle. Antonio Shelton from Penn State, Daquan Newkirk from Auburn. Look, those guys are going to have to help Ger- Gervin Dexter anchor down that defensive tackle position on the defensive line. And, you know, you guys at Athlon labeled in Shelton as a transfer, also as a transfer to watch in 2021. And it is because Florida needs a lot of help there. Uh, with Gervin Dexter, you know, he, after last year, he played a good bit, probably on the field way too much uh, as a five-star defensive tackle. Uh, now he gets some help there from Shelton and Newkirk. Yeah, like I said, that that is – I don't know if it's going to work out. I don't yeah. know if those guys are good enough. I think there's plenty of upside and potential there. There's no question. But, again, I, that that's – again, that, if you're saying what is your biggest concern about the Florida Gators heading into 2021 with a schedule that's got – you know, like like you said, Alabama and you know at LSU, Georgia. You know, I think at you know at Missouri is a tricky game. I know Florida, Missouri have had weird <laughs> had a weird history. Um, it's it, they they will be competitive in the big games if they're the the middle of their front seven is strong, and that's the defensive tackle and the middle linebackers. So I, I'm and I'm just kind of repeating myself at this point, but that that is the if you if you're asking me. What could change the fortunes of like we've got them at nine and three? And you said, All right, Braden, what I'm going to tell you one position or one thing is certain now. What, what are you doing with this team? I'm going, If you tell me that front seven is back to Florida levels of front seven, in particular up the middle, that is where I go, All right, maybe I like them better to challenge Georgia in the East. Like that, that's the one thing that I would point to and say, I, I don't sure the balance on offense in the running game and the offensive line, but like I kind of trust Dan Mullen to work that out. I, it's, it's how good are you? up the middle of your defense. And if they're good there, then I then I think the sky's the limit. Are they going to beat Bama? Probably not. But could they beat Georgia? Sure. If you got good defensive tackle play, linebacker safeties, you can absolutely win the East. No question about it. Swad now a bit, Braden, before I let you go here. Bama number one, Clemson number two, Oklahoma three, Ohio State four, Georgia five. Rinse, repeat after the last few years. Uh, look, Florida plays two of those teams, and you guys have Georgia winning the East. Uh, I tried to warn my Gator brethren out, out there that Georgia, the Georgia love this preseason is going to be high, probably should be. Brayden, let us let us know why, from your perspective, why, why Georgia is right now, you know, 
putting as a wide scope to runaway favorite in the SEC East. You've already mentioned JT Daniels, uh, but maybe just a little bit more about Georgia and, and why you guys have them fifth in the country and winning the SEC East. Well, I think they're the third best team in America. Uh, the problem is, is that they play number one and number two. Um, <laughs> and, and that's really the only reason they're not in the playoff for, for, uh, for us is that we have them losing those two games, Georgia in week one and Bama in the SEC title game. But otherwise, you look at their schedule in the SEC. Yeah, I can't remember an easier SEC schedule for a for a contender like that. I mean, I, I, the Florida game is huge, obviously. Uh, you, you know, but like Auburn, really, like Auburn is that their their traditional crossover, and Auburn's breaking in a new coach. We have no clue what to expect of them. They're 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 maybe they're a top twenty five team, maybe they're not. But you look at the rest of their schedule in the SEC; it's about as easy as it gets. For, for a team like Georgia, on top of the fact that you probably, in my opinion, have the best quarterback in the league in a year where quarterback is a big question mark. Uh, you've recruited as well as Alabama. You have better depth and talent than anybody else in the conference, minus maybe Alabama. You don't play Alabama or A&M. <laughs> so again, back to the schedule. It, so it starts to line up, right? Like that, the, the bullet points are all there, just like the bullet points were there for Florida last year. Mm-hmm. And that was before we knew the, the schedules were all going to get changed, right? right? Um, part of the reason we picked Florida over Georgia last year before the schedules changed was because of the schedules. We liked Georgia had to play Alabama, right? Like <laughs> yep. that, that was it. That was kind of the re- like one of the main reasons was that's an extra loss and we like Florida to win the game head to head. Well, now Florida's got the extra loss and we like Georgia to win the game head to head. And that's kind of it. And and so I just think there there's a breakthrough moment coming for Georgia, just like... um like like people like Georgia fans have been begging for. I don't know if it means they can beat Clemson in week one. I don't know if it means they can beat Bama, but I think they're the third best team in in America. And and the only reason they're not in the playoff is because they have to play Clemson and Bama, really. Like so I, I just think that's I think Georgia's on a different tier than even AM and Florida, but we're like you said, rinse and repeat on the top. I, I just it's all split in hairs, but I just think Georgia's a, a cut above not by not by much, but a cut above everybody and I think they're closer to Bama than they are even to A&M or Florida. So mm-hmm. I, I just think they're if – that, if that makes sense. I, yeah, I think. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Brady, I'm going to uh, put, put you in a scenario here. Florida at Bama, week three. Well, this is going to be the first SEC game the big with that features big powers. It's week three of the season. You get Florida, you get Bama. We didn't get the full stadiums last year in 2020. That is going to be an electric atmosphere in the swamp week three. Yeah, I God, I'm watching like all these other sports right now, right? Like NHL playoffs and NBA playoffs and you know, baseball stadiums all across the country during the tournament. Just watching like fans be there and have an impact on the game is just it means so much to see it again on television. It just it makes you feel good. And so thinking about what that could look like by week three, uh, man. <laughs> I mean, look, we get those neutral site. We get Georgia Clemson, but that's in Charlotte at a neutral site game. We get Alabama Miami, but that's in Atlanta. We don't get that first big SEC feeling CBS SEC CBS theme music pumps up, right. and you get the big crowd of, of the swamp there. Uh, I mean, it's going to be an atmosphere we haven't seen in college football in, in quite some time, especially down in the South. Yeah, I want to say, and I to your point, it's not down in the South. I want to say Auburn plays at Penn State. Yep. Yep, week two early on, and that will be that will be incredible, just because it's two historic brands and yep. Big Ten SEC. But like you said, that's not down in the South, so uh, I, I mean, you're right that that Florida that Florida game hosting Bama is going to be as big as it gets early. I'm trying to think. Um, 
I think Texas at Arkansas is an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you know, it, not nearly as good, but like think about the old history between those two and um, how many games they've played in the past. And I imagine, uh, I imagine Razorback Stadium is going to be pretty lit up for that yeah. one. So, well, I mean, we, it's just, we got what Notre Dame and FSU, and then we got Ole Miss and Louisville. I mean, there's a, a lot of really good games that are going to have full crowds and great yeah. crowds, but we're we're not going to get that. Uh, that down home heartwarming feeling of the SEC on CBS theme music popping yep. up showing a yep. full swamp. <laughs> no, I, and, and you're right. Like there's nothing, there's nothing like it. And I, I, I am, I am happy that that teams are. I know that the neutral site games are sort of like the, the equation is not like, well, should they play these at home or should they play them on a neutral site? No, the, the equation is should you play them in a neutral site or not play them at all? Like that, that's the equation, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. And I would rather have Ole Miss and Louisville and. Yep. Bama, Miami, and Georgia, Clemson on a neutral field than not at all. So I, I mean, I've, we've got to kind of admit that. But I do think athletic directors are are looking for ways to keep people in the building. And what sells better on television, you know, the, the Mercedes Benz Stadium or a packed swamp with Alabama? Like, what what sells more? Or, and I know Florida might actually start doing this, right? Like, they might actually leave the state of Florida to do to play non conference games at some point in the future. It's coming up. It's coming. It, it's coming. But like. That like Florida, like I'm just gonna let my my imagination run here. Like F- Florida at Michigan would just would just be awesome. Like that would just be amazing, and and it's great for for because then what you do is you get Michigan coming back down, or another Big Ten team, or another Pac ten Pac twelve team coming down to, sw- to the swamp. And yeah, we have that with Florida, Florida, Texas, and Florida Notre Dame as far as powers go coming up in the next, I guess, yeah, decade or so. <laughs> yeah, and so like those those are worth more. Like those are worth more paycheck wise to your economy and to your school than, and to TV deals than than it is to play like I don't know like Virginia Tech in Atlanta, right? Mm-hmm. If you're Florida, so I, I I do think there is a swing coming back towards like we're going to schedule good games we're going to schedule home and homes and i do think that's going to be good for college football and good for good for the fans for sure yeah especially after 2020 and a lot of lost money uh going to economies and college towns and all that get the gate for all these universities uh, i think uh the home and homes uh about the way to go uh there so brayden man thanks once again here from athlon sports uh also i, I see it on your little uh uh, your your super there, 440 Sports. Let everybody know uh, what that's about as well. Well, it's a, it's a Nashville-based media company, so probably not a ton of people that, that that are watching this and listening to this care a whole lot about the Nashville Predators or <laughs> you know like Nashville SC. But you, got, but we, you have an SEC show too, though, but, right? But yeah. but we do have an SEC show. So we it's called Fringe Element, and we focus exclusively on SEC football. Um, we try to you know a lot of SEC, a lot of Southern culture and. You know, we'll have a comedian on or a musician on, and you know, in the off season, try to keep it light, and then, you know, go go really hard into the X's and O's as well. So it's just sort of an SEC Southern culture variety show about about college football, and um, so check that out. Yeah, Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network, and uh, myself and Aaron Dugan, who worked at an SEC school for about ten years, and um, she kind of is out telling stories, has a unique perspective, and so I, I really enjoy working with her. So. All right, everybody out there, go to your newsstand, go to your grocery store, wherever, go pick up the Athlon magazine, or you can order it digitally. If you're like us, you want that physical copy, but uh, Braden, Braden will be happy either way. Either either way you want it, uh, <laughs> they'll be happy at Athlon Sports. You guys yes. go check it out. Uh, all right, that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I am the host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.